This is Elk Story Blowout for Elk Hunts coming your way. You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus and you are listening to Archery Maniac. We cover everything archery from the hunting side to the tournament side with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews and more. That, that helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. Not staring into his eyes, blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. Now, this is Jesse Craig. And I'm your host, Zach Harold. And uh, this is Archery Maniacs. Stories from the Red Zone. So go ahead, dude. What story are you going to share with us today? So, uh, you know, you and I were talking, you know, earlier today about, um, you know, different, you know, different stories. And I can think of lots and lots and lots of good success stories. But I know, like, when you're doing all this different kind of stuff, you want to tell people about the failures, too. And, uh, you know, so you can learn from them. Because I... You know, anything and everything that's to do with being successful in hunting and things have, you know, you want to learn from your mistakes, things that you did wrong, so the next time you can do them better. And uh, it really got me thinking about when uh, I went elk hunting this last archery season, and, you know, we drove clear in, it was crappy weather and everything else, and uh, we could hear elk, you know, a little bit, fugling here and there, and uh, but we never really were seeing anything. And then finally... Fortunately, because of the crappy weather, there was a little bit of snow, and uh, we got up early that next morning, and we just started walking, you know, like you do when you go elk hunting or whatever else, started walking, and we found some tracks, so we decided to go ahead and follow them, because, you know, lots of times when there's some snow, you can actually just literally follow them, and there's a good chance you're going to find a good, good elk, or at least just see something, you know. So we were following them, and just kind of, you know luck of the draw, really, we came in this little meadow, and there's elk, I mean, right there, a bunch of cows, and, uh, you know, a little bull elk, nothing to be, you know, nothing fantastic, but I've never shot an elk with my bow before, you know, I've shot a lot of good deer and stuff, but I never shot an elk, and so, uh, you and I decided to make a sneak on these elk, and I mean, we made an awesome sneak, uh, you had it, you had it on video and everything else, and, uh, you range found, we were looking around the edge of this tree, and you got a range on this bull, and I was standing, you know, basically kind of behind you, but kind of beside you, you know, at the same time. You got a range on him, and it was, I think it was like 35 yards, and I went to draw my bow, and, uh, you know, just a major, major, major learning experience for me. I think what really truly happened is when I drew my bow, I had my bow pointing downward too much. And my broadhead actually caught the um, limb of my bow is what actually happened. The more I thought about it, you know, over time, that's what happened. And when that when that occurred, it actually pulled my knock out of my arrow, and my arrow fell off on the ground. And, of course, we were standing right on top of some rocks, and my arrow just tink, 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 tink. And they all, <laughs> they all were looking at us like, <laughs> like uh 
whoa, there's something. I mean, they had no idea we were there. But when my arrow fell off, I mean, it just, it was game over. And, and I, I mean, I learned something major, major when you're doing spot stock on anything, any animal. You got it. When you draw your bow, you almost have to draw it as if you were shooting it at a target, if you can. I mean, try to be a little bit seclusive about it, but, you know, when you have your arrow pointed down like that, it doesn't sit right in the rest, and it have a, it has a tendency to tip off to one side or the other, and it'll catch on your bow, actually. And that's exactly what happened with me, is actually caught on my bow and pulled that knockout, you know. And, uh, you know, it just takes a learning experience like that, you know. So the next time I know, you know, if I'm making a spot stock, I can't have my bow pointing down like that, you know. I got to have it up or or uh, the same thing is going to happen, you know. It, it was definitely, you know, an awesome experience. I'm glad it wasn't some, uh, you know, 400-inch elk that could have been, you know, an elk of a lifetime. I'm glad it was just a small bull. Um, I'd way rather learn from those experiences, you know, on a small bull like that than some big one that you're going to go home and cry about for the next two weeks because you're so mad at yourself, you know. Um, I mean, really, truly, it's fortunate, you know, that that it happened that way. <laughs> you just think it's hilarious. <laughs> well, it's so funny because what he failed to mention is that I was there. I mean, I guess he said that. I was there. I was videoing. And he went to go draw back the first time, and the arrow fell off. And the first time, the knock didn't come out. It just came unknocked from the string. So he reaches down and he re-knocks his arrow and goes to draw back again. Well, the second time, it literally jerked the arrow off of the knot and just tink, tink, tink. <laughs> and I turned around and I made out a few choice words like, you literally just effed us. And uh, <laughs> the elk went storming off and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the plus side, though, we didn't have to pack an elk out of there. We were in there a long freaking ways. <laughs> that actually is very true because where we walked to was a, it was a long, gosh darn ways. Cause I, it was a real bitch to get in there. It was. Dude, dude, <laughs> and we walked back out. It was like, it's like a lot of the time what happens, you know, uh, I walked in there and I'm thinking to myself like, oh, it's not, you know, it's not that bad. It's pretty far, but it's not that bad. But then when we started hiking back to camp, then I realized, like, wow, we hiked a long, gosh darn ways today, you know? <laughs> and I mean, it's not like some guys hike, you know, per se, but at the same point, it's farther than some guys hike, too. I mean, we still, it, I was real glad I didn't have to pack an elk out that night. Yeah, that would have been a lot of work. A lot of dang work. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know, that's, that's kind of like something that, it's kind of like the offside weighing of, of bow hunting, you know, unless you're using horses. Um, you, you just really got to realize that when you're when you're going to let an arrow fly, chances are you're going to be packing an animal out of there. And if you've never done it before, a uh, 130 to 160 pound pack is very humbling. <laughs> oh, tremendously humbling. It'll, yeah, it'll, but uh, I mean. It's kind of like, it's almost like a swift kick to the nuts, but let me tell you what, you're happy when you see camp or the truck. <laughs> oh, like, like that time that I had, that I had to pack this elk up for this guy. Well, I'm going into another story a little bit, but it just makes me think about it. I get a call from a buddy. He says, Hey, this guy I'm friends with shot this elk. It's just right off the side of the road. No big deal. 
I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I hop in the truck. I figure we're just going to load an elk in the back of the truck. No. The dude was, like, so unprepared. I was in college then, so I didn't even have my frame pack or nothing. The elk was, like, two miles off in this ravine, and I was baby-carrying chunks of elk out. (laughs) There is nothing that compares. Like, Like, I honestly don't know if I've ever been that tired and wanted to quit so bad in my whole life. Because my buddy, he only stayed for one trip out with me. The guy that shot the elk was too old and should have been shouldn't have been down in there trying to hunt. I don't not necessarily too old, but just physically didn't have it in him anymore. So all he packed out was his horn and I made like five more trips by myself, baby carrying elk feet out. Yeah. That sounds like a oh. good time. Oh, dude, that makes you, that makes you really, really, really appreciate a good frame pack or a good horse. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) Like, man. Well, go go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, so I guess really the moral of the story on his elk hunt is, is, I mean, yeah, it's it's good to try and not draw where you're out in the wide open. Um, but as you're coming to full draw, just be watching what's going on. Uh, I mean, we were both completely focused on the elk, um, and for good reason. But it could have been very simply fixed by me looking over and saying, well, hold up, you know, let me slide your arrow on a little bit farther for you. Or him doing, or Jesse doing the exact same thing. Um, so simply, we just got caught up in the moment, didn't really pay attention to what was going on with the equipment, and and it screwed us in the long run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, really, truly, what I learned, and given, I, I think it could be like really, really beneficial for a lot of hunters. Is uh, you know, like we're saying with, but even like if you watch a hunting video, guys don't draw their bow with their bow pointed at the ground. They draw their bow with it up. You know what I mean? So so that's where I I think that's what really got me. I mean, maybe some guys do, but, you know, that that's the point. For me, personally, I know now that I normally should draw my bow with it up if, if at, all, at all possible. You know what well, I mean? Well, yeah, and that, that's, you know, that's, that's obviously. If it's possible, that's exactly what you want to do. But when an elk is standing there looking at you and by bending down and drawing your bow, you're behind the tree, then that's a lot of movement. You know, that, that'll oh, yeah. blow animals out in itself. So that's the whole reason that you were bent down trying to draw your bow was because you were in concealment when you were bent down. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I really, truly think if I would have tipped my bow up even, right, two inches even, that would have made the difference in me drawing that bow back and catching that hair. That, because that's what, what happened was the broadhead caught on the bow itself. Mm-hmm. On the side of it, because it cocked off to that one side. And I, I really think that if I had, um, if I had just lifted it a couple inches, which I think I was concealed good enough at that point, I probably could have. I just didn't think of it, you know. It's just a learning experience. Yep. And I, I can't complain at all. I mean, I'm, I, I'm so glad it happened on a little small bull like that, you know, and not on some hunting show or whatever, you know. But I, I would have been so, I mean, 
Unlike anybody, when you shoot a big animal, you get so jacked up and excited. But when you screw up on one, you get so mad too. You know, it's just so frustrating. And I don't want to. I don't want to be like that. It's just not who I am. You know, I want to enjoy what I'm doing always. And it, it you know, I want to be successful. It's a big part of it for sure. Yeah, that's all right. Well, that's that's why it's archery hunting and not archery killing. You know, it's. It's yeah, such yeah. a learning curve and it's such a challenge. It's that's that's part of the that's probably in my opinion the challenge is the best part behind it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's well, it's like you like you. I mean, you've been telling me this for a long time, and it's totally true. That's why they call it hunting and they don't call it killing because you don't always get to kill something, you know. And, yep. Uh, it's, that you gotta hunt. I mean, it's a challenge, and it's no different than you know the person that you know, walks out in the field and shoots a, shoots a doe and the person that works their butt off and goes and scouts and puts out trail cameras and everything else and looks for that big deer or that big elk or big antelope or whatever it is, you know, uh, because you want that challenge. You enjoy that challenge. I mean, and it, for me, it's no different than anything in life. I mean, um, just being successful all around for sure. Yeah. Well, perfect, man. Well, thanks for sharing a story in which it was a failure. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope you enjoyed that first story. I tell you what, I was there when it happened. I got to witness the whole thing while I was trying to film as the arrow tinked off the rocks. And I would have never imagined in a million years that that would have happened to us in that exact situation, but it did. That's why it's called hunting and not killing. Up next is a story from Lonnie Craighead, his very first time out, hunting elk with a bow. The elk is there at something like 18 yards or 12 yards, and well, I guess you'll just have to listen to the show. This is Lonnie Craighead with Get Fit Outdoors. And I'm your host, Zach Harold. And you're listening to Archery Maniacs. My very first shot I ever had in an elk, and this was up here in Washington, and, you know, my dad had set up my bow for me. And it was really cool because the, the first compound I had as a kid, now I said I had that golden eagle, but I got that when I was a little bit older. Uh, the first compound I had was actually a kit bow that he made for me. And, you know, you, it was a wood handle. You know, he had to put it all together, sand it down, put the finish on it. And we still have that bow, as a matter of fact. But That's awesome. You, when we shot it, you know, of course, back then we were shooting the old metal pins. And, um, you know, the aluminum arrows and all that stuff. And so we got it all sighted in. Well, the one thing he didn't put on there at the time was the pin guard. And so we got it all sighted in, go up hunting. And he's like, oh, crap. He says, i got to put that pin guard on there just in case, you know, you, you drop it or set it down. You don't want to bend those pins. Uh-huh. So we put it on there. We start walking. We're probably a couple miles into the walk. And we had separated because we saw a herd of elk. And, you know, he's probably 100 yards away from me. And he's calling. And sure enough, here comes this herd of elk. And this was back in Washington when you could shoot any elk. So the first one that comes out, and I'm only probably 30 yards from it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Six by six. <laughs> I was a 12-year-old shooting archery. You know, I'm just like going, oh, God. Right? And, of course, I'm, you know, back then, shooting fingers. Put the arrow on, and I got this sucker dead to rights. I mean, he's just standing there looking at me. 
<laughs> well, I go to let go of the arrow, and we didn't judge the distance on the veins to the pin guard. And those veins hit that pin guard and shot it straight down. Oh, no. He just stood there and looked at me. <laughs> He's like, going, yeah, okay, and? So I have to knock up another one because, of course, being 12 years old, I didn't know any better. I was like, what the hell? Maybe I did something wrong. <laughs> Put an arrow on there, drew back again and shot. It did the same thing. And I just <laughs> going, okay, no, I'm not sticking around for this. It took off. <laughs> My dad comes over me, what happened? How, how, you know, how did you miss? And I'm going, I don't know. I had everything lined up just like I was supposed to. And I said, I could hear something tinging is when I let go of the arrow. We get to looking, and he puts an arrow on there, and sure enough, probably the top half of that vein was hitting that pin guard when I let go. Oh, man. Yeah, that's that's definitely a lot of fleshing contact. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, again, we learned from it. So it, it is what it is. He goes, you'll never let me out. He says, you'll never let me let that down. Because, you know, he's like, here you are, your first elk hunt. You get a shot at a six by six, and I'm the one that screwed it up for you. <laughs> yeah, especially when you didn't really know any better. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first story. Here is Lonnie's second story. So, a couple of years ago, we were up elk hunting, and we have a base camp, and then from the base camp, we normally have quads that we can run to a trailhead. And then from there, you know, we work the trailheads out a couple miles or whatever. And let's see, at that time I was shooting a G5. And, of course, on the quad we have the external bow hangers. So I put the bow on there. And it was only my second year of actually having a quad. Normally, you know, we don't. We'll just go out from camp. So I put the bow in the quad, run up to the trailhead. And this is opening morning. Take the bow off, it's dark, you know, and uh, walk out to where we normally hunt at. And right away, I hear elk. But it's not quite even light yet. So I get myself set up, and I can hear them coming up. They're mewing, they're talking. And so I get myself all ready to go. Daybreak comes. And sure enough, here comes a herd of probably 30 or 40 of them. And they walk right up where I was expecting them to. Probably a 25-yard shot. Draw back. And I, one of the rare times that I really felt like, you know what, I'm pretty calm on this one. I'm not too nervous. And, you know, I have time. She stops completely broadside to me. Click. Let go. And my bow explodes. And I'm going, what in the, what's going on? I got parts flying everywhere. And the arrow just falls right in front of me. I'm like going, what happened? And of course, she's sitting there looking at me like, okay, what was that all about? <laughs> so I'm scrambling to get all my parts. I'm like, okay, well, okay, here's the cable guard. Here's a part of my rest. And I'm like, I'm done. I, I, there's nothing I can do. Well, what had <laughs> happened was, when I pulled the bow out of that holder in the quad, it pulled my strings out of the separator. So when I knocked the uh, arrow back, it pulled the arrow off the string. Of course, I wasn't necessarily looking at that. I'm looking at my sight, and I'm looking at her. But when mm -hmm. I let go, it just cracked the arrow. 
like I said, barks flying everywhere. I'm going, oh my God, I cannot believe this happened on opening morning. <laughs> so I gather all my parts and I have no choice, but I have to go back. You know, I don't, I don't know if my bow's in any, any shape to be fired again, which luckily I was able to find all the parts. And, you know, long story short, I got back to camp, got everything back together and shot it a few times and it was okay, believe it or not. And the only thing that was a saving grace was the fact that the string hit the arrow. Had it just been a complete dry fire, I'm sure the bow would have been toast. But, man, you talk about, I was so sick. I thought I couldn't have had a more perfect setup. And it was done. (laughs) That hurt. On this episode of Stories from the Red Zone, Joel Turner of Iron Mine Hunting shares one of his failures on an elk hunt. His very first elk hunt, to be exact. It's an exciting story. So as always, stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy the show. This is Joel Turner with Iron Mine Hunting. And I'm your host, Zach Harold. And you're listening to the Archery Maniacs. Well, let's talk about the first bull elk that I ever shot at. Okay. It had rained that night. I was 16 years old. It had rained that evening, and uh, I was stalking through this old clear cut. And I see this beautiful black antlered 5 by 5 I see his antlers sticking up out of the grass. And he's in a clear cut, and he's in a spot where I know there's an elk trail going right to it. And at the time, I was shooting a compound with my fingers bare bow. Because I knew that if I put a sight on my bow, which I had tried before, I couldn't even put the sight on anything, right? Yeah. Without dumping the string. So I took the sights off to shoot bare bow. Shot instinctive, right, with quotes. So I shot instinctive, and I had this low anchor point. I was shooting split finger, first finger in the corner of my mouth. I know everything about the setup I was shooting at the time. And... So I'm like, oh, this is my opportunity. Here I go. All right. So I'm sneaking up on this thing. It had just rained. It's quiet. I get within 30 yards, and I snap the twig. And that bull, I see his antlers spin toward me, and he stands up. And as he's standing up, I'm drawing my bow back. Without one inkling of any decision, I'm holding over his back. I know I'm going to shoot feet over his back. And I dropped my bow arm and let that arrow go. And it did. It went about six inches over his back. And, you know, first experience ever shooting a bull elk. I'm like, man, that was incredible. But wouldn't it have been better had I have hit that thing in the in the vital organs, you know? But it was somewhat of a relief to get that arrow gone, which is, you know, you would think is nonsensical. But if you think about those critters that you've missed, you're like, oh, doggone, I missed it. But, you know, your mind's thinking, wow, whew, at least that's over with. You know? yeah. So that was one of many elk that I missed until I started to figure this stuff out. So my turning point that everybody's got to analyze and figure out, my turning point was in 2008. Now, I had killed some bulls at this point, but I hadn't really analyzed how I did it. I hadn't analyzed the decisions that I made. So, in 2008, I'm on the King Ranch in Texas. I'm shooting hogs down there, and I'm missing everything. I'm shooting a longbow with a clicker on it, not getting through my clicker, not executing my shot properly as I did in my backyard and on the 3D course. 
and I'm missing everything, and my buddies are laughing at. Me. <laughs> so I've been there. <laughs> so I got I got a little perturbed, and I went off by myself. I went to a feeder that I knew was down the road. I just walked there. I jumped out of the truck and I walked there. And I got to the feeder. Feeder goes off, and here comes the hog. I'm thinking, okay, as he's coming, I'm thinking, okay, this time, this time, I'm going to get through my clicker. I'm going to do everything right this time. As he's coming in, I make that decision. That's the same decision that I had made numerous times. Got a bunch of geese coming into the lake here now. So as I, as I, I had made that decision numerous times on elk and everything else. And it hadn't panned out for me, but I didn't really realize it at the time. So anyways, this hog is coming. He turns broadside. He's 20 yards. I'm like, all right. I draw my bow back, and I've got the same anxiety and the same feeling of weakness and the same knowledge that I'm not going to get through my clicker. All those things are happening in my shot. It was the same as all those other shots that I'd ever shot at game. And especially all the same as all those ones that I had just shot on that particular trip. So I'm at full draw. I can't get my aim on this thing. I know I'm not going to get through my clicker. And that's when I, that's when I had my moment. I stopped and I said, nope, I'm not doing this again. And I let that shot down. And that was my turning point. I didn't realize it at the time. But what happened next was very interesting and very profound in my shooting career. So I kind of, the hog didn't see me. I kind of gathered myself. And I start to draw my bow back again. And as I'm drawing my bow back at half draw, I said to myself, I'm going to do this right. And that was the decision that changed my life. I made the decision of perfection within the shot itself instead of before the shot. And what it did is it made me intensely present into what I was doing. It killed the autopilot. And so as I'm drawing my bow back, I say to myself, I'm going to do this right. And I said it with conviction. And I got to anchor, and I got to my aim, and it, I was like I was shooting in my backyard again. I knew everything that I needed to do, and me making that decision within my shot reminded me of all those things. Oh, yeah, the first job is to draw back and aim, get it done, and just watch to keep it. So there I am at full draw on this hog. I've got the perfect sight picture. But I've got another job to do, and that is to get to my clicker. So let's freeze frame for just a second. I'm at full draw, perfect sight picture on this hog. Now, I have questions for you, Zach. Have you ever have you ever jumped out of an airplane? Uh, no, I haven't. I'd like to. <laughs> have you bungee jumped? No, I, I probably what I've done is close to those things. I, I used to ride bulls. <laughs> okay. So the bull's kind of an involuntary thing because they send that mountain of rage upon you, right? <laughs> they do, yeah, pretty much. Have you ever jumped off of anything high into water? <clears throat> yep, yep. So was it a cliff or a platform or what was it? <clears throat> uh, yeah, I've done both. Okay. So let's say you're at the edge of that platform. 
you are about to cause your body potential impact. I can almost guarantee you that you had to make a decision to jump off that platform. Absolutely. It wasn't just you automatically found yourself falling off the platform. (laughs) I can almost guarantee you that you verbalized your decision in your head or out loud, and it sounded something like this. Here I go. Yep. I mean, you think I've talked to a lot of people that, that jump out of airplanes and bungee jump, and almost everybody has said, sure, they had to make a decision to do that. You are making a decision to cause your body potential impact. I mean, you hope that the, that you, that the water's deep enough. But you don't really know. <laughs> you are causing your body potential impact. So you had to make a decision to do that. So in my shot, back to that shot on the hawk, I'm at full draw. I've got the perfect aim. I can probably just let this arrow go, and it's probably going to go in the hog. But at that moment, I made another decision. And my decision sounded exactly like yours. I said to myself, here I go. Here I go means something has to follow that, right? Yep. (laughs) Here I go. What it did for me is it reminded me, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to pull from my clicker. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to say my mantra. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to move it slow enough that I could stop or modify it at any moment. Oh, yeah, nobody's got a gun to my head making me shoot this shot. So what it did for me is it made me intensely present again. I hope that you enjoyed Joel's story as much as I did and learned as much about the process of controlling your shot as I did. I know that it can come within, come in extremely handy, and I hope you realize that too. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the show. And for the last story, Clint Stout is going to share his Colorado elk hunt. It's a pretty unique story, so I hope you enjoy it. I'll do that Colorado bull hunt if, if, if you want. Yep, that works. Unique goofball story from you know, new experience and so cool. Well, I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> um, you want me to just kind of start from the beginning and kind of say how I ended up being there and, and everything? Yeah, that sounds perfect. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I'm going to college and wrestling at Wyoming. I got to uh, be on a team with a, a gentleman named Dan Klum, and the Klum family owns Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear, and uh, just outside of Denver, and. Uh, Kind of always, you know, talk to Dan about wanting to uh, to do an elk hunt in Colorado. They shoot some monsters on public land, and uh, I've kind of always been the guy that never wanted to pay a guide. All the hunts I've been on, I've never had a guide, and so I wanted to shoot my first elk that way. Never drew while I was in Wyoming, so I didn't get to hunt elk there. And uh, so Dan said, put in for this certain uh, area, and took a couple points to get in, and. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I was gearing up to go, and I said, Dan, you know, I, I call these elk in Pennsylvania and know a little bit about that, but what do you think the best chances are uh, in that in that area? And he said, well, I would go out and scout ahead of time and uh, just spend your time in the alpine and not hunt the rot and, and all the excited time that you hear about. He said, uh, hunt the first week of season. That's what we do. The biggest bulls we've shot have been then, um, and, and you'll be more successful because it's uh, more of a patterning thing like you're used to for, for whitetails. Um, and so 
had the hunt planned and season was going to start August 29th. So uh, me and a buddy that I, I coached, uh, he was a high school wrestler I coached, uh, we went out and uh, got up, you know, got everything set up, went into a range and really started scouting above tree line. And instantly I started feeling comfortable because I had guided sheep in Alaska, doll sheep hunts, and was used to that alpine setting. And uh, so we camped up there for, for five days and just kind of watched the elk herd and, uh, you know, got got a feel for what they did in that specific area and what animals were, were available to try to get a stock on. And uh, so uh, we, we basically had a, a plan that in the morning we'd hit this one saddle, just like Whitetail. There was a, a pretty big saddle that we could glass across to. Um, and it seemed like all the elk would feed down it to what uh, I guess uh, they call out in Colorado a park or what I would call a meadow. Uh-huh. Uh, and Aspen. And uh, so first thing in the morning, we headed out that way. And uh, was the stock was a little bit interesting because we were going. We didn't realize that there was a whole different saddle that we couldn't see. And it was a big flat in this park. And uh, got in there and, and kind of was shocked. And we knew where we wanted to get. And it was getting daylight. And uh, we weren't quite there yet. And uh, all of a sudden, here, here a whole herd of elk came over right where we wanted to be. And <laughs> came over through the uh, saddle, and, and uh, you know, instantly we saw a bull that I thought was one that I definitely wanted to take a shot at. And uh, I said, "Man, we got to get up there now because once they get down into the trees, it's going to put a whole different animal uh, as far as the stock." And uh, boy, I'll tell you, I was glad I'd been, you know, always kind of keep up in shape. And he was obviously in phenomenal shape. He was wrestling for. Pitt University at the time. We ran about a thousand feet in elevation up, and uh, there was a perfect situation where we got lucky. Uh, there was a washout and a draw in the saddle, uh, and we got right in that. And I said, We got to get up that, and we got to get to the first spruce tree. So, you know, we, we did our homework, but to say that it wasn't luck, it was definitely luck that we knew that if those elk stayed by that spruce tree, it was the last spruce tree for the uh, alpine, that we could get a shot because we could pop up in this little, little Canyon and, and be right there. So that was just blessed to be that lucky, I would say. <laughs> and uh, so we hoofed it up there and sure enough, we popped up behind the spruce tree and uh, they were all still right there. And uh, it was kind of neat. We wanted to try to film it, but as soon as we got set, uh, a calf saw us started acting funny. And I thought, Oh man, this is, we're going to blow this. And, uh, made a couple just short calls and a bull circled right out around. And, uh, I, 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 sh- I shot and I uh, thought he was at 45 and he was at 55. And, uh, it's kind of neat if we would have had on film the arrow, I watched the arrow go right under him. I thought, <laughs> and I turned around to my buddy and I said, man, I'm sorry. You know, it was all that work. And, you know, just blew the shot on a big bull. And he said, dude, you hit that thing. <laughs> and uh, I was like, really? I, I didn't think I did. And I saw it running up over the hill and it was limping. And so we left it go a while and, and uh, tracked it down. Then I think it was about an hour later. And it was kind of neat as far as, you know, being, you know, patient, I guess. Um, it was our first time elk hunting, you know, never really uh, done that. And didn't know what to expect for hitting a big bull like that to, to know, you know, what he was going to do. And uh, he didn't run far, and we snuck in, and he actually filmed me 
crawling on my butt and getting a shot at this bull, making a good shot, a second shot on him. Um, and he ran a little ways and, and, and fell over dead and I, on film. And it was pretty cool to see that. Uh, and, and be able to make that shot the first time, still, still, you know, hit the bull and, and, you know, not have it get away and suffer or whatever. So, um, pretty cool experience. And then, uh, you know, being able to pack it out. I mean, it was a heck of a haul. We were way up in and, and, uh, you know, making it all come together on the first morning. Um, you know, and couldn't thank enough the, the clums telling me how to do that because I would have never thought of doing that. I would have been out there trying to call and probably chasing everything out of there <laughs> had they not told me that. Absolutely. So, you know, barring the, the, the helpful tips that they were giving you, um, what do you feel is a few things that, that help that hunt become successful as opposed to coming home empty handed? I think it was, uh, you know, the experience of, of being, uh, used to the Alpine type of terrain and, and understanding how, how, uh, you know, animals feed in that. And, and you, I quickly learned that the elk would, would feed higher as it got hotter during the day. And that was part of the reason the clums had, had told me to go then. Um, you know, they would be down in the uh, trees at night, uh, or on the edge. And then as it got hotter, they would go clear up and, and feed higher up, clear up in the alpine where the sheep were. And, uh, I think, you know, a big factor was being able to realize that. And, and then pattern the fact that they would want to get to a certain area, which were the aspens, um, at night where they could feed and, and be a little bit lower down in. Cool. Cool. And as far as, uh, you know, having to, to climb that elevation and pack that much stuff out, um, do you feel that, that physical conditioning was a, was a big part of your success? Yeah, definitely. I think even, you know, the days leading up to it, scouting to, uh, to be able to be in shape and, and never have an issue of, you know, being out of breath, um, you know, was a huge factor when you're hunting that high. I mean, I can see that when I was hunting mule deer in Wyoming, if you're down lower and, you know, you're maybe hunting bluffs or whatever, it's not near as big of a factor. But when you spend all day at, at 10 to 12,000 feet, uh, and moving, even glassing, you know, we would sit for hours with a, a spot and scope and glass, uh, you're still moving. And, and if you need to get to somewhere, being able to get there quick becomes a huge factor. And I think, you know, in this specific hunt, getting up that washout in as quick a time as possible could have made or made or broke the hunt. You know, if it would have taken us another 10 minutes, I think those elk would have been a hundred yards from that tree and we would have been out of luck. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, did, did optics and, you know, things like that play a pretty big role to your success? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, that's, you know, like anything we, we talked, you know, previously about gear and stuff. And, uh, I think, you know, it, it all helps you feel more comfortable. And in the end, when you're more comfortable, uh, you can be you can be more accurate. You can think clear, and uh, you know be able to achieve whatever goal you're trying to set. It doesn't even have to be hunting. It's just comfort. Comfortability is is important. And so, sitting with the right you know optics all day, glassing, and uh, and being able to feel comfortable in them, not get tired, 
is huge when you're spending that much uh, time, you know, looking through your spot and scope. And that's, you know, the, the Maven optics that we use, I think, uh, were a pretty big factor in that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, good optics are just so paramount to success anywhere. You know, even coming down to shed hunting, you know, it's amazing how much good optics can make or break your hunt <clears throat> hunt, and just make it so much more fun, you know, because your eyes yeah. don't hurt. You want to look through the glass when you have good optics, you know, and once you get to that point where you want to look through the glass, um, you you start finding more animals and more whatever else you're looking for for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, again, it makes you more comfortable. You know, if you're yep. sitting there looking through something and the, you're setting them down more, the more you set them down, the less you're what you're seeing. You know, and that becomes a big factor. Yeah. So what about what about like your shooting routine? You know, your shooting regimen. Um, at obviously people that. If, if you haven't shot a, a great big bull elk standing there screaming in your face, um, then, you know, not everyone has been fortunate enough to experience that. But still, even when you're in a tree stand and a, and a white tail comes by that you're going to shoot, you get jacked up. So what about your shooting regimen? I mean, were you practicing religiously for this hunt? Um, and, and how important was, was that practice as well as being able to keep your head in, in order to make that shot? Yeah. Yeah, I uh... – I, I shot a lot of longer shots uh, coming up to the hunt practice, and uh, obviously, you know, whitetail hunting, usually you're not shooting that far, and, and it's something where the clums, they all use recurves, and, you know, I, I heard these stories of constantly, oh, there was a bull at 60 or 80 yards, and, you know, if we had a compound, man, we could have got that 380 or whatever, and so I really started shooting, and I'm I'm not – I'm not a shooter or a, a real technical shot guy. So um, I, I practiced and, and, you know, I'm not driving tax, but I practiced to where I felt comfortable out to about 80 yards on a larger target. And uh, so that was a pretty big factor in it. Um, but I think also, you know, as far as the, the pressure at the moment, I get a lot of people asking, and one of my best friends last year, he's, he had missed the three biggest bucks that I ever had on my farm three years in a row. And, uh, you know, I said a lot of people, I think when you get excited, and I've been blessed to just naturally not have that, you get overly excited and you don't think about the actual focus of, of what you're looking at. And so many people uh, then don't let, look through a peep site. They just look at their sites because they're so excited. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, the biggest thing when it comes time for that shot is to – not even focus on whatever you're shooting at as much, but just truly think and be calm. You know, yeah, it's, you're in an exciting moment, but if you don't focus on that shot, the end result's not going to happen anyway. Yeah, (laughs) that is so true. That is so true. Well, you know, obviously Clint, as always, it is, it's an absolute blast to have you on the show. Um, and I really appreciate you sharing your elk hunt story in Colorado and, and helping us break it down to figure out what it is you did to, you know, come out there with a, with a heavy pack as opposed to a light pack. And maybe someone out there will, will pick up a few tips and tactics to help them be more successful on their next elk hunt just from this story. So I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'd say the most important thing, like any kind of species you're hunting, is spend the time scouting and the end results will be there just because you put the time in.
Yep. I agree 100%. So I look forward to, uh, you know, growing our relationship and helping each other out any way that I, that we can. And, and I just, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to hop on the show today. Yeah, definitely. I really appreciate it, Zach, and look forward to uh, maybe doing some more, some more shows with you. Yep, absolutely. Thanks again, and we'll be talking to you soon, Clint. All right. Sounds good. All right. Have a great day. You too. See All you. right. Yep. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... Eastman Elevated with Bride and Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to... Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.